Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 197. And when you're hearing this, Christmas has come and gone. I wonder what I got. I don't know. I wonder what I got. I'll tell you what I got. Zero. (laughs) Yeah, because we haven't done our exchange yet. (laughs) I know. I can't wait. We exchange on New Year's Eve. I don't know. It's just what we do. Me, her, Tiffany, and Colby. Yep. But I wonder what Colby got me. I know some of what you got him. Yeah, but that doesn't mean no good. I want to know what I got. <laughs> we don't care about him. Just kidding. We do. I want to know what I got. Okay, okay. Look, insert Veruca Salt. Don't care <laughs> right? how I want it now. <laughs> we all know what you want. What I really, really want? Mm-hmm. It's what you did your nails for twice. You know, and got my hair done today. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that really was a long time coming, that hair. I haven't gotten my hair done since before we went to... The True Crime Podcast Festival in July. I don't know why you don't keep up with the hair on your head because you keep it down below. I mean, no, girl gotta do what a girl gotta do. Mm-hmm. Priorities. Right. And again, this is why we can't do lives because Donna goes rogue. She talks about <laughs> my hair care. <laughs> well, you know who else we talk about? Lamo. I know. But Patreoners! That person who said your segues had gotten better? Uh-uh. Maybe spoke a little too soon. Yeah. But we're so glad that you're here. Leslie W. from Georgia. Holly C. from Texas. That was better for you. Elizabeth L. from Tennessee. And Emily K. from California. Thank y'all so very much for joining Patreon. Hopefully you are getting all this bonus content, all the good good, and loving every minute of it. Because you do get the entire backlog. That's an episode a week since we started Patreon in what, 2019? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Terrible with the numbers. So get to listening. Also, this week, bloopers come out. Yep. If you want all that that they're getting, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. You didn't, you didn't pick up what I was throwing down. What? Bloopers come out this week. Yeah. So and, I said if you want it. But guess who intros bloopers? Our new editor. Yes, so welcome, Corey. Mm-hmm. And y'all would get to hear his voice. So if you want to hear his voice, head on over. That's what she should have said. Meanwhile, he's probably like, I don't want to do an intro. <laughs> We've already talked about it. Yeah, uh, Donna edited for like two weeks and was like, I'm not doing this shit. Oh my God, if Carrie sniffed one more fucking time, if I said sorry one more fucking time. Corey's like, cars. yeah, Corey's like, oh, I know. <laughs> We basically sniffed Jingle Bells, the Sinister Sightings that we just recorded. Mm-hmm. And thankfully to all the Patreoners, we can uh, have Corey to edit out those sniffles. Yes, because no one needs to hear it. We are sickly motherfuckers. Speaking of sickly, I know something that Colby doesn't need to give you. Strep uh, throat. Yeah, that motherfucker got strep throat again. I don't know again. I just feel like he's been sick a couple of times this year. <laughs> I don't know. I had it once. I don't want it again. Well, what I do want to know again, lame. <laughs> again. Lamo, I, I really, my transitions, they gave me too much credit too soon. Um, I want to know your story. Good one. Good one. Well, I know they're probably tired of hearing us talk. Okay. Well, this isn't paranormal, but it's one of my favorite cases, and I wanted to get your opinion on it. And I thought I'd close out the year by covering it because, you know, it's one of my favorites. Well, it can't be that dude because you already did him. So what case is it? It's another dude. <laughs> I mean, you have a type. You're not wrong. Breathing. Also, you're not wrong. (laughs) Picture it. March 31st, 2006, Columbus, Ohio. 
Two friends decided to celebrate surviving their college midterms and making it to spring break by doing their own version of a pub crawl. However, one of those friends would never be seen again after that night. His name is Brian Schaefer, and this is a case of his disappearance. Brian Schaefer was born on February 25th, 1979 to Randy and Renee Schaefer. He was their first child, but they did have a second son named Derek. The Schaefers lived in Pickerington, Ohio, and were the typical family. Fast forward, and Brian graduated high school in 1997 and was accepted to The Ohio State University. He graduated with a degree in microbiology and then went on to attend their College of Medicine. He was two years in when he went missing. Well, shortly before he went missing, like two or three weeks before, his mom passed away from a rare form of cancer. Like we mentioned in last week or the week before Sinister Sightings episode, Grief is so hard and everyone handles it differently. For the most part, people said that Brian took it really hard and missed his mom, but he was okay in handling it as well as to be expected. And that might be because he had midterms and shit, so he couldn't let that preoccupy him. He also had big plans coming up because of spring break. Him and his girlfriend were going to Miami on a trip that his mom had gifted to them previously. Remember, I said in the Sinister Sightings episode uh, from this past Thursday, I had a little Miami shout out to the Golden Girls. That was it. (laughs) Like, that was it. That whole thing. And that's all you said about it? I mean, I say Miami a few more times, but yeah, that that was it. Okay. I mean, Miami is nice. She did say it thrice. So about this Miami trip, everyone pretty much assumed that this would be a trip that Brian and Alexis, his girlfriend, would remember forever because they thought he was going to propose to her. And I know, Carrie, you're thinking, that bitch. No, actually, I was thinking, I know that fucking feeling. (laughs) Oh, gosh. They just gotta keep it a secret of when they're gonna do it. (laughs) Which you wanted. No, I know. I do. But I want to know. Okay, So on Friday, March 31st, Randy, his dad, invited Brian to a steak dinner to celebrate. Of course, Brian accepted, but Randy later commented that Brian seemed exhausted and he kind of wanted to tell Brian not to go out and not to stay out late with his friends, but Brian was 27. He was in medical school. He's an adult. So Randy just kept his mouth shut and enjoyed his dinner with his son. And honestly, he didn't want to make a big deal about it because he knew he was exhausted from staying up late studying and stuff, not partying. So Brian did deserve to let off some steam. Randy just had some reservations about doing it that night. That's what's so hard. I just truly don't understand how people get through medical school and residency. Like the number of hours that they have to put in I mean, for them to, like, mandate, hey, you can no longer work more than 80 hours in a week is ridiculous. Yeah, and then think about him being in a relationship and Alexis, his girlfriend, she was also in med school. So they were both doing med school and doing each other. That's terrible. But in a relationship, too. Like, how do you make that work? I don't know. Well, and also, just think about all the medical errors that occur because, one, they're learning, and... Two, they're fucking sleepy. Yeah. Well, the two of them finished dinner and parted ways. And about 9 p.m., Brian met up with his friend Clint at a bar called the Ugly Tuna Saluna. 
Did you name that place? I, I know. I literally was about to say, I did not name that place. <laughs> but it really does sound, sound like, like something you would say. <laughs> Someone says, I want to name it the Ugly Tuna. Come up with something that rhymes. Saluna. It's so stupid. And so something you would come up with. Mm-hmm. But I love it. It was a pretty popular bar because it was in the South Campus Gateway Complex. Mouthful. But so it was by the school. It was just the two boys at the bar because Alexis had went home to spend some time with her family before her and Brian went to Miami. Brian had also invited his brother Derek and his girlfriend Marin, but they were too tired after the comedy show that they were at ran long. Brian ended up calling and talking to Alexis around 10 p.m. So before they got too turnt or anything, He told her that he loved her and he was looking forward to seeing her and going on vacay with her. Then Brian went back to partying with Clint, his BFF, and they started their pub crawl. They went to several places and took shots at every place. That's why I said they had their own little pub crawl. And around midnight, the two guys met up with Clint's friend, Meredith Reed. And Meredith gave them a ride back to the Ugly Tuna Saluna. And they were going to have one last round and all that stuff. And that's where they got separated. But they knew that Brian had said he was going to talk to the band. He always told people and had even put it on his MySpace about how the doctor stuff was just a career for right now. But his ultimate goal was to get a band together and basically live on a beach or own his own island. I mean, dreams. He was a huge fan of Pearl Jam. He even had a tattoo of their cover art on his upper right arm. It's like a stick figure thing. He also loved Jimmy Buffett. Anyway, I say all of that to say Brian was a total geek over the bands and he even played the guitar and stuff. So he always talked to the bands. Oh, I bet they fucking love that. And I say that sarcastically. I bet they're like, great. Somebody else that plays guitar coming up here and be like, I mean, I play too. <laughs> I mean, tell me where I'm wrong. You're not wrong. I mean... Sorry about whatever happened to him, but the band, I roll. (laughs) What I was going to say is that him talking to the band didn't seem to be out of the ordinary. What was out of the ordinary was that he didn't seem to be anywhere in the bar after that. Clinton Meredith ended up leaving the bar at 2, which was closing time. They waited outside for Brian, thinking that he would show up too, but there was no Brian. Then they assumed he had just walked back to his apartment without letting them know, and so they left as well. Alexis called Brian the next day, but he didn't answer his cell phone. She didn't really think anything of it and just waited for him to return her call because she was like, oh, he's probably sleeping off a hangover. For the record, I'm never going to leave a bar without you, so if you go to look for me, I never walked home. Oh, for sure. For sure. I'm that person that's always been terrified that someone was going to leave me in the bar. So, uh, I'm not doing that. Right. I believe Randy, his dad, went over and saw Brian's car there and didn't really see anything out of the ordinary and thought he was probably over at Clint's house. Randy also called Brian during the weekend to receive no answer, but just decided to give him some space. But then all the red flags were flying high on Monday when he did not show up at the airport for their flight to Miami. I'm sure you're going to go into this, but the girlfriend didn't try to reach out to him in any of this time? Like, Yeah, she did, but she thought he was sleeping off a hangover. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were saying the other girl like that was with him at the bar. 
No, uh, that was Meredith. Alexis called Randy and he called Derek. They both got in contact with the police, filed a missing persons report. Now, some say it was Sunday night that they filed a missing persons report and they were waiting at the airport to see if he showed up. But I couldn't find like a definite answer on that. So I'm not sure. Of course, the police started searching for clues and for Brian at the Ugly Tuna Saluna. The thing to know about this area, it did have a high crime rate in 2006. So it wasn't the best area, but they were really working on cracking down on the crime. And because of all the criminal activity going on, a lot of businesses had gotten surveillance cameras installed. The Ugly Tuna was one of those businesses. So the police checked the videotape and they could see at 1.15 a.m., Brian, Clint, and Meredith were coming up the escalator. Brian is in front, leaning on the handrail because he was cool like that. I'm nervous about escalators. I'm just too lazy for the stairs. Tell me something I can't agree with. <laughs> for me too, not you, yeah. for me. Like, I hate holding on to the things. I hate, oh God, stepping off and stepping on. It gives me so much anxiety, but I'm not schlepping up those stairs. Exactly. The next and last time they saw Brian on security footage was at 1.55 a.m., he was talking to two college-age girls, and I believe that they knew Clint. And then you see Brian head back into the Ugly Tuna. That was five minutes before the bar closed, and that was the last verified sighting of Brian Schaefer. He was wearing some jeans, a blue or green striped shirt, and tennis shoes. He is white, male, tall, standing at 6'2", he weighed around 170 at the time, brown hair, big hazel eyes, and he was really handsome, like sexy, handsome, hot, <laughs> sexy, handsome, hot, this all is, the things. This is why it's her favorite story. <laughs> like I candy for days. Breathing. <laughs> Tall, hazel eyes, smart, sexy, cool. <laughs> TLC. I got it. Okay. One unique thing about Brian, he had a black dot on his left iris. I think it's like when people say, don't look at the eclipse. Right. And you get it. That's what he had. I mean, I don't think it was from an eclipse, but he he had that. Um, One time when I was a kid, I had this boy that I had this huge crush on. Like. Also breathing. For, no, no, no. For like a solid decade. Love of my life. And he hated me. Oh, I know. You don't even have to look at me. I know who it was. Well, epic fail. His mom had one of those. Oh, gosh. And I didn't know it. How I didn't know it, I don't know. And we were all like, it was like a church thing at their house. And I was like, oh, my God, what happened to your eye? <laughs> because why would I say that? I don't know. That's a Donna thing. Donna's going to call something out. <laughs> I would totally why? say But, like, that. I was like, it was, it was from a genuine, like, oh, my God, are you okay? Like, yeah like are you okay like I'd never seen I've seen this woman a billion trillion times yeah. and never noticed her poor eye you know so I'm not being like ugly about somebody having it I'm saying how the fuck had I never seen it and out of a genuine place of you know sixth grade Carrie going oh my god are you okay like something and she was the same thing she got she looked at an eclipse she said I don't know and it hurt her eye and I felt about two inches tall because I had never seen it before, and I was like, oh, my God, and it was like the love of my freaking childhood life's <laughs> mom, and I was like, well, now he's never going to like me, <laughs> and he didn't, <laughs> and I came out better because I got Colby, but still. Yes. 
God, I felt like such a douche canoe. <laughs> it really was from a genuine like, oh my God, are you okay? Yeah. You know, but. Well, uh, I would have asked that question just from a genuine, I'm nosy as fuck. God, open mouth, insert foot. And I don't understand boundaries sometimes. No, I, you don't. I That's... can't help it. So on Fixer to Fabulous, it's my new obsession. Like I say new, but it's I think it's three seasons in. But one of their carpenters, he has an eye patch. And it's like, I want to know why. And I totally would be like, bro, why do you have an eye patch? And like, that's not something you ask. But I can't help it. You can. You just don't. My mouth just opens and says it. No, you can help it. You are a grown ass woman. You can decide what you say. I mean, I'd say it. That's what I'm saying. You say what you want to say. You can control it. All right. Back to Brian. The thing about this. There's no footage of him leaving the bar. That's like the big thing about this case. And the Ugly Tuna was basically a giant ass room that had a bar in the middle of it. The entrance and exit was the same door and that's by the escalator. So if you entered or left, you would have been captured on that security camera. So how did Brian sneak past the cameras? Police believe that he could have changed clothes and he could have put on a baseball cap, you know, and hit his face when he was leaving the bar. So he's in a cartoon. Okay. Mm -hmm. But also his friends were waiting for him and you would have to disguise yourself a lot. And even if I'm drunk, I'm going to know it's you by how you freaking walk and shit, you know, like, right. And especially if someone's walking by me and they have like a hat and they're like tilted down, I'd be like, what the fuck? Why is Carrie acting so weird? So I just, mm, I don't buy that. And where the fuck would he have gotten the clothes and the hat? Would he beat somebody up in the bathroom and stole them like a fucking cartoon? (laughs) Again, makes no sense. Right, right. Well, there was another exit, but it wasn't for patrons. It was for staff, and I think there was an emergency exit, but that would have sounded the alarm if it was used. But the one that wasn't for patrons, it was used by the band. Mm, He was talking to the band. Yes, And when they were closing that night, there were some people who had been hanging out with the band that left through that door with them as well. And apparently there wasn't a security camera back there or something, but at the time it was open to a construction site, if I'm correct. It's kind of weird. There's like different accounts of this, but they were doing some renovations to the building. So they're saying it wasn't the easiest to get out of. So if you're drunk, you're probably not going to be able to slide by undetected, you know, going through this site. And like I mentioned, several businesses had gotten security cameras. So the police pulled a lot of footage from surrounding bars just to see if there were any blind spots from the Ugly Tuna that they could capture that way. But there was no trace of Brian anywhere. Police did investigate the dumpsters and stuff, but they came up empty-handed, No discarded clothes, no clues, no anything. They brought in tracking dogs into the bar. They checked the sewers too, but nothing. They also went to Brian's apartment, which was six blocks away from the bar. They found it in perfect condition. Nothing was out of place that shouldn't have been. So again, they were coming up with absolutely nothing. Randy, Brian's dad, he just could not deal with Brian's disappearance. He had lost his wife just weeks ago, and now his son was gone, seemingly vanished into thin air, which we know is impossible. Randy got in touch with a psychic, 
And they said that Brian's body was in water. It's literally always in water. Mm -hmm. Well, Randy and Derek ran with that clue, got some other volunteers, and searched a nearby river that was about a mile from Brian's apartment. Like, they got waders and stuff, and they were doing the damn thing. And I think that Randy had a bad experience and, like, almost drowned or something. But he was doing whatever he could to find Brian. But again, they came up with nothing. The police started to question the staff from the Ugly Tuna, also the band, and, well, anyone who might have interacted with Brian on March the 31st. Everyone was really helpful. Then we get to Clint and Meredith, the two friends with Brian that night. The police asked them to both take polygraph tests, and Clint refused to do so. He retained a lawyer quickly, and all communication went through that lawyer from then on. Which I know seems sus, but on the other hand, that's his right. Exactly. I mean, again, nothing says that you have to put yourself in a position that you're uncomfortable with or anything with the police. Like, it's well within his right to get an attorney, and that does not mean he's guilty. I mean, I don't know the rest of the story, and he could be allegedly, who knows. But him getting an attorney and refusing to take a polygraph does not mean he's guilty. Right, right. So people did kind of side-eye him a lot. But we know it can be a smart move, and we would totally do that. We would lawyer up. And polygraph tests can be damning and isn't always helpful. But they felt like he knew something that he was hiding. But also, I want to say, I think Clint did talk to the police before. And then they asked him to take a polygraph test, and that's when he lawyered up and did everything. So he was helpful until that point. Yeah, so until the point where he felt like a suspect and was mm-hmm. like, huh, I should probably protect myself. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. People did say that Clinton Brian had some sort of fight at the bar that night, but they didn't know what it was about. But both of them were drunk, so it seriously could have been about anything. Cue me and you fighting about everything and anything with and without alcohol. I mean... That's the fucking truth. Mm-hmm. Well, the case went kind of cold because there was absolutely nothing to go on. Brian seriously seemed to vanish. Also, his cell phone, credit card, bank account, nothing had been touched and still not touched since he disappeared. One thing about his phone, he had the carrier Singular. Oh, I remember Singular. Uh-huh, that orange little icon. Mm-hmm. Well, my sister Lori had Singular, and I think I had it through her or something like that. Anyway, Alexis, his girlfriend, continued to call Brian's phone for months after, and it always went straight to voicemail because his dad kept paying the bill because he wanted Brian to be able to call it or something if he was lost or whatever. And she said she knew it would go to voicemail and he wouldn't answer. She wasn't under any, you know, false hope that one day he would magically answer. She just needed to hear his voice through the recording. Which I totally get. But one call she made in September, it didn't go straight to voicemail. It actually rang three times. And that was the first time that ever happened. You know her heart sank. Oh my gosh. Alexis really thought this was going to be the break in the case for them because his phone had mysteriously turned on. But Singular said that it was probably a glitch in the system or the tower it pinged from. Then in September of 2008, two years after Brian's disappearance, Randy Schaefer was cleaning debris from a windstorm that had happened and a branch fell from a nearby tree and fell on top of him and killed Randy. (gasps) Oh my God. This family is riddled with trauma. Oh my God. 
Such a freak accident. What? He was found the next morning by neighbors and they called the police. Just so heartbreaking. Well, Randy's obituary was online. You know how you can set that up. And you know how you can comment on them. Well, there was a comment that said, Dad, I love you, Brian. (gasps) And the location said it was from the U.S. Virgin Islands. So this comment had everyone in an uproar because, hello, U.S. Virgin Islands. That's what he said. He wanted to live the island life that, like, okay, okay. Like, his father's death has lured him out. But it was a hoax. Oh, Those people are a piece of shit, whoever did that. Mm -hmm. The police found that the comment had been left from a public computer in Franklin County, which is where Columbus is located. So someone local did that. (sighs) Why are people such douchebags? Like, like what does that do for you to cause all these people that much trauma and hurt? And, I mean, if you, like, forget everyone else. Derek is the only surviving immediate Schaefer family Mm -hmm. member. What the fuck? Like, what did he do to you? Like, why would you do that to him? You know, like, yeah, that's going to sadden everyone. That's going to, you know, reopen this case. Maybe that's going to do whatever. But like to poor Derek, he's lost everyone and maybe has this glimpse of hope. And then it's like, oh, no, someone local just wanting to fuck with you. That's so shitty. So shitty. It is. And I hope they have burning diarrhea and no fucking toilet paper. That's like your go-to when you're mad at somebody. Yes. But that really could be the worst. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Girl, I hold it so I can come home and use my bidet. I oh, know. Oh, God. Well, till you can't hold it anymore. I had the dang heater on in my car trying to be warm. And she was like, it's, it's making me want to go. Turn it off. Carrying her stomach problems. I got bad Hey, join Patreon. You'll hear more about them. (laughs) Seriously. All right. Well, enough about Carrie. More about Brian, the handsome hunk. Well, with disappearance cases, we know there's always theories. Sorry. We know there's always a shitload of theories. So we have a few to talk about. The first one, people say, okay, Brian went out the emergency exit or that staff exit And got caught up in the construction site and injured himself. According to Clint, they were doing all the shots and shit and it was hard liquor. So we know that they were, they were feeling it. So maybe he did go out a different exit. He got turned around, did get into the construction site. But the theory goes that he fell in a hole or something on the site and passed out or died from the fall. So the workers just poured concrete to close up the hole. All right. Like, oh, shit, there's a dead body in there or didn't even see him. And it's like, load her up, boys. And that's not how that worked. Right. And I feel like if he had died, had they had the proper signage and shit, like the construction workers wouldn't have been like, hey, let's cover this shit up because it wouldn't be their fault. So why would they be like, let's let's do this that's real shady and we could get in trouble and go to jail? Yeah, because they wouldn't. Right. Like, I no. No. And, I mean, if he got in the construction site and fell, they would have found a body. Like, if he fell somewhere else other than a hole that got covered up mysteriously. Right. Okay, the second one is somehow Brian died inside the bar 
but the staff didn't want to be sued or shut down, so they got rid of his body. And this one's only a thing because he wasn't seen exiting the building, okay? But I feel like the staff wouldn't be well-versed on how to dispose of a body, especially on a busy Friday night. And I feel like if there were that many people involved, someone would have talked. Yes, 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 yes. So also I said, and nearby cameras would have gotten some kind of footage or something, I feel like. And then I said, also, it means that these people would have to have kept a secret so gruesome and shit for so many years. And I feel like someone would have talked by now. Mm-hmm. Someone would not have been able to live with themselves. Right, right. Number three, Brian faked his disappearance to start a new life. Of course, with any disappearance, this is a theory. Since no one ever found any evidence that looked like Brian was harmed or anything, or really any evidence of anything at all, people believed that Brian couldn't get over the loss of his mother and wanted to get away from the life he knew. We know that he also loved the beach life and that laid-back lifestyle that went along with it, so he could have left his stressful life behind. However, he had plans for his future and never gave any, you know, warnings or signs that he was thinking about leaving or whatever. He had a trip to Miami coming up. And if you wanted to go away from your life, maybe do it after your vacation to one of your dream locations. And also, he was supposedly going to propose to Alexis on that trip. So I don't know. I just don't think he would have walked away from his life right then. His family had suffered so much already. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I don't think he would have done that to his dad. Also, when his father died in that freak accident, I feel like he would have tried to make contact with his brother since, again, Derek was the only living relative of the Schaefer family then. And this is just a little aside, but I think for a fan who has a tattoo of Pearl Jam, it would mean something. It would be a big thing for him. So Eddie Vedder, the lead singer of Pearl Jam, actually took time out at a concert in Cincinnati in 2006 and asked for help for finding Brian and talked about how much of a fan he was and how, you know, he was like the people in the audience and stuff. So like, please help find him. And I feel like if Brian knew that, if he had the chance to meet Eddie Vedder, he'd be like, oh, hey, I'm here about disappearing. Uh, It's, uh, well, something you could write a song about, maybe like it was just a little misunderstanding. But can we meet? Like, I just don't think like all of that would have happened and he would have never said anything. Never reached out, never done anything. Another one is Brian did leave the bar, but was met with foul play. We know that Brian went back inside five minutes before the Ugly Tuna closed. He'd been talking to the band and they were packing up then. He could have been one of those that walked out with them from the staff entrance slash exit door. So no one saw him leave on camera. Then when he was walking home, it was very evident he was intoxicated. So he could have been a victim of a crime. And again, crime was really high in that area. So it could have been anything from a gang, any type of robbery, anything. And hell, not saying the two girls he was talking to was involved because they, they weren't, but he was actively pursuing girls, I think, at that night, like talking to them. So he could have followed one out, been set up or something and been like, oh yeah, this is my place. Then her boyfriend's there and like robs him, beats him up, kills him, whatever. Who knows? Let's back up a second. How did I miss that this guy who is allegedly going to propose to his girlfriend was trying to hook up with other girls. Okay, so there's not a lot of evidence of it, but one of the girls he was talking to, I think he got her number 
or something, or she gave him his her number, like put it in her his phone, something like that. Okay, so a little like allegedly, but mm-hmm. but then I think they said that he was flirting around with other girls on no yeah yeah so what the hell i mean again you said he was my type yeah but not a fucking cheater and again we don't know that you know for sure or anything but he looks like that all-american classic guy and so it's like if you were looking to fight someone or if he was looking to fight someone he looks like the guy who would be looking to fight someone you know what i mean Mm -hmm. the one who's super drunk and it's like, oh my God, just go home. Just go home before you fight someone. That That's the type. But along with the whole foul play thing, the smiley face killer theory comes in. So it's like the smiley face killer or the smiley face murder theory. I know you've heard of this, but if you haven't heard of the theory, two New York detectives, a criminal justice professor, and a gang expert, they all got together and basically came up with this. They say that a lot of Midwestern states in the 1990s through 2010s had a lot of college-aged white men who accidentally drowned after a night of drinking. Well, they said, eh, not so much an accident and that they were killed and that their bodies were dumped in water, basically. And they believe that it's a work of a network of serial killers or, you know, killers or just one serial killer. And, like, the little calling card of the serial killer was a graffiti-style drawn smiley face nearby where the bodies had been dumped. A lot of people don't buy into this theory as a whole, but definitely not for Brian because that would mean that his body is the only victim who hasn't been discovered. Also, it isn't, like, a narrow victimology, if that's a thing. Like, white college-age men who's been drinking. So, yes, it's Brian, But also that night, there was probably a thousand others. Yeah, but they didn't go missing. I know. But I don't know. People were just like, eh. I mean, I'm not saying it's right. But yeah, there were all those other people. But again, none of them went missing. True. Very true. Well, then the last, and I mean, there's more theories. Like, seriously, there's Reddit threads. There's all the things. But the last one I have to say is alien abduction. I have to mention it, but, you know, I don't believe this one. Normally I would say yes, but no. No, no. I mean, if I was an alien, I would abduct him because he is very handsome. But no. Like, I just feel like no one saw anything that night. And it was, like, in the city. There, No. No. Aliens don't abduct in cities? Look, they do. But it can't be that crowded, okay? It was, if it was a man in black, like you believe in, they could have bloop, bloop, everybody's memory. Very true. I'm just saying, you believe it. Very true. But I feel like that's a different kind of alien abduction. And he would still be walking around, okay? So don't even get were, me started on men in black. I didn't know there were types of alien abductions. Yes. Okay. Sorry, I missed that part of the Will Smith movie. Look, ugh. And look, I don't look at Vincent D'Onofrio the same after that. Ugh. Well, one thing I heard while I listened to the Murder Squad podcast They had the True Crime Garage guys on there, and they were talking about Randy, Brian's dad, really threw a lot of shade at Clint and tried to direct the investigation to him. Also, they said that they found out that him and his dad weren't as close as his dad led people to believe right then. Like, they had been, but then some shit had happened, but that dinner they had was actually kind of like a... Reconciliation? Yeah, like, can we move on from this? Can we be civil? What's going on between us? Kind of 
thing. So I think it's just interesting that, you know, that the dad was trying to point the finger and he seemingly had some skeletons in his closet. That doesn't mean he killed his son. Oh, no, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying... Like, he might have tried to, like, he was also friends with one of the sergeants that was on this case. So if he directed it in any way too much at Clint or whatever, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know. Because just like how we said about Bryce's family, like, why didn't they just go down there and get them? Like, we don't know their situation. But if it was us, you know, after like the fifth time you've called and he's still in the same spot, maybe, you know, but then people said, like Bryce was a little more like wild than they were like he's a great guy and he's never done anything like this in his life everyone has those skeletons and I don't know I just feel like it's kind of weird that the dad would like be like trying to hide that I don't know it just is weird well but people are always going to paint a victim in the best light so that they get publicity and they get searched for and all the things. Well, like they're babe, not going to be like, I know, but Brian is a white male and handsome and I know, but they're not going to be like, you know what? He was actually kind of douchey, but it wasn't, it doesn't mean that it falls on Brian. It could have been his dad. Like we don't know what it was about, you know? Cause Brian and Derek were super close, especially after their mom died. Yeah. But I don't think like the dad's skeletons, all that, like, I don't think that's a part of it. I don't know if he had an alibi. I don't know. Yeah. But again, I mean, his dad would have to have been like this huge abuser and all of that. Like, I don't know. I just try to remember back when I worked in oncology, I would be like, man, this person has no family coming to see him, yada, yada, yada. And it's like, even though they're dying of cancer and you have the sympathy for them and all of that, and just because they're going through what they're going through right now, it doesn't mean that they were this great person that didn't destroy their relationships with other mm-hmm. people. So it's like, yeah, they're painting him as this wonderful guy, but you're you're not going to, well, you may say this about me, but you're not going to be like, yeah, she was a royal bitch. You're going to be like, she lit up a room, you know? I would not say you lit up a room. I know, but you get my point, though. You're People are always going to paint someone that's a victim in the best light or someone who's died or someone, you know, because you don't, you don't want to be the asshole that's like, no, they were kind of a douche, you know? So, and I guess that's what I'm trying to say too about the, how I'm trying to relate it to the oncology thing. Cause like I would have a hard time wrapping my brain around like this person's dying and nobody's here with them or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but they could have abused their kids growing up or whatever. You know, yeah. you don't know what their yeah. life was And because of their decisions, this is, you know what I mean? This is why nobody's here. So you can't place that blame on someone else if they've made their bed, you know? Right. So that's kind of where I'm going with Brian is, we don't know. Yeah, but don't you think at some point they would have been like, actually, he was kind of a douche. I mean, somebody may have, but it's going to end up being like on a Reddit thread that people are going to be like, I don't know if this is true or not, but I saw this on Reddit where somebody said blah, blah, blah. Because I saw that in my case too, where it was like, I don't know if this is true, but, and obviously I'll get into that, but it's like, I don't know if this is true, but yada, 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 yada. Yeah. So you, as the average reader, is going to take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. And it's like, is this somebody that has a vendetta against them? Is this somebody that just didn't like them? Is this somebody that was jealous because he was the high school football star and handsome and went off to med school and that wasn't them? So they're writing on the message board, miss you, dad. Right. Like somebody had something, you know? Yeah. Now, all that to say, I don't know what the fuck happened to him. Yeah, I don't know either. But with his dad, I mean, karma's a bitch. So you never know if that accident was karma coming back around. You never know. What I do know, in 2019, 
the FBI received a photo of a transient man in Tijuana, and the person who had taken it was really sure it was Brian Schaefer. But after four weeks of running it through all their systems and stuff, they determined it not to be a match. Brian Schaefer would be 42 this year. They did an age progression picture on him, and to be honest, he'd still be hot. If you have any information about Brian Schaefer or his case, please contact the Columbus Police at 614-645-2358. I wonder what happened. I mean, obviously, so does literally everybody else. (laughs) I'm the only one who wonders. I don't know. I don't know. what. Like, honestly, like, you hearing the story, what do you think? Honestly, I don't fucking know. Because it had to be some sort of foul play. But, like, do I think he wandered off into the construction site? No. But do I know what actually happened to him? No. So it had to be some sort of foul play. Yeah. But he had to have left from the back of the bar because he was, like, shooting the shit with a band, being like, I play guitar. Right. So that's had to be how he left the bar. And then from there, did somebody pick him up? Did somebody rob him? Did somebody, I think you said all those things. That has to be what happened. But it's like, where did they hide his body at? Like, what happened? But that we we had a sinister sighting not too long ago about someone who's robbed and taken to, like, this remote area and killed. And it could have been something like that. And they just, it, they were so remote, they never found the body. That's so true. Yes. So it literally could have been the absolute most random thing, which are the hardest ones to solve. Yeah. One day they'll find the body. And if you have any information, what is the Unsolved Mysteries thing? (laughs) I couldn't think of it. Oh my God. Did you see that meme of Unsolved Mysteries and it's Cotton Eye Joe? Where did he come from? Where did he go? No. So this story is going to be told a little bit differently. I'm going to give you a little bit of background information, but it's no big secret as to what happens in this story. So I'm going to tell it kind of from the point of view of the killer because we have a fully written confession that details everything. Like I'm literally holding the written confession in my hands. Well, obviously not the original, but you know, you get the point. And also since I missed the Christmas memo, um... Since, you know, the holidays are ending, I thought maybe I would make us nostalgic for Halloween. Good one. (laughs) Good one. Okay, this is a story of the Evans family. There was a son, Jacob Ryan Evans, who goes by Jake, so that's what we're going to call him for the rest of the time. His parents are Daryl and Jamie Evans, and then he has three sisters, Emily, Audrey, Elise, and Mallory. The Evans live in Alito, Texas, and I'm not exactly sure what the dad, Daryl, does for a living, but we do know that Mom Jamie was an elementary school teacher and an assistant principal who worked for the Alito ISD, which is like how they call the school systems in Texas, but she worked there for 15 years. Do you know what ISD means? I used to, um... And inner something school district. Yeah, independent school independent. district. I was like, inner. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not it. I used to know. Yeah. Tell me you worked in sales and for Texas school districts with te- or without telling me you worked in sales <laughs> of technology. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. The Evans, like I said, lived in Alito, Texas, and they lived in a gated community on a two acre plot of land which is an literal 
fuck ton of land in, in Texas. In a gated community, right? Too. Like in those now. Okay, picture Texas: huge, big, sprawling ranches, all the things. So, but in like you said, in a gated community, in a subdivision type of community, that is a fuck ton of land. They had two acres and. In Houston, a lot of those houses were on like an eighth of an acre. And they would be these massive two-story homes, again, on like an eighth of an acre. They had two acres. And yes, it was a gated community. And this house is fucking huge. You can see it online. It's enormous. It's got a pool with a jacuzzi. It's got a pool house. It's got all the fucking things. We'll talk a little bit about the house as we go. Like, it's, they're basically like, it's like all the rooms like Tori Spelling's house. Remember how Tori Spelling had a wrapping room in her house? Literally for wrapping gifts. No. Okay. Well, she did. And just last night, Colby was like, there's wrapping paper everywhere. I was like, well, build me a house and give me a wrapping room and I won't have this everywhere. (laughs) Meanwhile, who the fuck can afford that? Not even Tori Spelling anymore. The two older siblings, Emily and Audrey Elise, they were grown up and in college doing their thing. At the time of this story, Jake is 17 and Mallory is 15. And their parents are young, like late 40. Like I think his mom was like 48. In January of 2012 is when Jake started homeschooling. And his sister Mallory had already been homeschooling for I think two years before him. The family was pretty religious, went to church every Sunday, They had just switched from like a Methodist church to a Catholic church, but by all accounts was a very typical Texas family. But this story happens on October 3rd, 2012. According to Jake, he had gotten home from the allergist and was having some lunch and was watching Rob Zombie's Halloween movie. Apparently he had watched this movie a couple of times that week. And he was so intrigued with how 12-year-old Michael Myers was able to murder his stepfather, his sister, and his sister's boyfriend without any remorse. And he was so, like, taken with that. He thought it was the coolest thing. Mm, okay. I watched that movie as well. Not not so uh, taken with that. Yeah, I was going to say, that wasn't your takeaway from no. it. No. <laughs> no. Well, it was Jake's. So... Jake says he watched that movie again, like I said, third time for the week, and was like, I want to do this. So he took the movie out and threw it away because he didn't want people to think that he was influenced by the movie. Even though he was. Even though he literally said, like, that's so cool. I want to be able to do that. And not that he was, I mean, he was a bad person anyway, if he's thinking that way, but like, you're trying to copy this movie. Right. And, you know, here's the thing. Jake had homicidal ideations. I don't know if you call it that, but he had like homicidal ideations before this movie. I think what he was so captured by was the lack of remorse and empathy from Michael Myers. And he was like, look, you know what? I really have this desire to kill because I kind of hate people. So I want to do it like he did in the movie and not give a fuck. So I think that's what he was more like captured. Again, that's the only word I could think of what he was more excited about and wanted to emulate than those specific murders. Right. Congratulations, Jakey boy. You're like a fuck ton of other killers. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Just that's, ugh. and you know, he was like, okay, thinking I'm going to be the same way. I'm going to be just like him. So, okay. Allegedly, Earlier in the day, what had happened was 
He had gone to the allergist, and while he and his sister were gone, I don't, need, I don't know if the mom was there or not. I know he and his sister. There was a person of color outside of the allergist mowing the yard. And allegedly, his sister made some racist comments about the person doing the lawn care. And he was like, that's fucked up. Don't say that shit. And it pissed him off for, with his sister for the rest of the day. Now, that is coming from Jake. So let's take that as, with a grain of salt. I saw literally nothing else at all that alluded to the fact that Mallory was racist or anything like that. That's all coming from Jake. Uh, and there were some classmates who said, like, she was so sweet and all the things. Now, we did just talk about how people are not going to speak ill of the dead, especially in a situation like this. But I kind of feel like if she was that racist, it would have come out. Yeah. Especially when he's saying she made racist comments that pissed me off and sent me into part of this rage. Right. So I don't really buy that part. So he watched the movie and he's thinking, damn, I really want to do this. I got to have a plan. So he decides to go outside and just hit a few golf balls in the yard. Yes, hit some golf balls in the yard. That's how big the yard was. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's how wealthy they are. I mean, yeah, like... We were literally just talking at work because one of my coworkers was saying that she wanted to go buy her husband some golf balls for Christmas. And she was like, this is how much golf balls cost now? He ain't that good. I'm not buying them. <laughs> yeah, no. Mm-mm. But also, like, I feel like people could still hit... If you're, like, angry enough, you would hit the golf ball further than two acres. Like, depending on where your house is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And well, that just shows right there, lack of caring about other people anyway no my parents used to hit golf balls in our backyard all the time where in our backyard they swung full no who said he was swinging full force he's mad who said he was swinging full force though he's just putting around some golf ball my parents used to hit it pretty hard though i don't know yeah you don't know what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> no when was the last time you played golf uh never okay uh yes my parents used to hit golf balls back in our backyard too yeah but i feel like he's angry He's doing it as a way to think. He's not like, I'm taking my aggression out okay, on the golf balls. Okay. He's doing it like, I need to ponder my plan. Okay. I'm going to go hit a few golf balls. Okay. He's not, he wasn't trying to like get his rage out. Okay, okay, okay. He would go to like a batting cage that they probably had on their property. Oh, Lord. They didn't, but I'm just saying. And yes, I say all of that out of jealousy. I want a big house with a big yard. I don't. I look at those big houses on like selling Sunset and stuff and I'm like, but why? I mean, again, if you can afford it, you do you. Y'all can have whatever you want. But for me, nah. So Jake hit some golf balls for about an hour just thinking about what he wanted to do and how he was going to kill his family. After he was done hitting the golf balls, he went inside. And this is about 530. He goes in and he's sitting in the living room. His plan was to kill his sister and his mom at their house. Now, his dad was working out of town, so he wasn't there. I want to say I heard he was working in Washington, D.C. So I truly have no idea what that man did for a living. That's why he was so wealthy. Right. So his oldest sister, Emily, was at his grandparents' house. So his plan was, after he kills his mom and his sister at the house, go over to his grandparents' house to kill his sister, Emily, and his grandparents. Damn. Now, his other sister was away at college and was supposed to be coming in the next morning. So, his plan was then to wait for his other sister, Audrey, to come in from out of town 
and he would kill her the next morning. Oh, with the dead bodies in the house. So he's got his plan. He's feeling all big badass, like he's going to be just like Michael Myers, no emotions, kill all the people. At about 6 o'clock, his grandma calls and is like, hey, uh, Jake, do you want to go to the cleaners with me? And he's like, sure. You know, in the midst of all this planning to fucking kill her, she wants to know, hey, you want to go to the cleaners and get dinner? And he's like, I sure do. Well, he needs his sustenance. Gross. So he leaves with the grandma. They go to the post office. They go to the cleaner. They stop and grab some food. And he brings her back to the house. And at this point, he's so disgusted with his family. He just wants some alone time. So he takes his dinner to the pool house so he can watch a little family guy and develop his plan. After he eats, he goes back into the house and sees his mom and his sister hanging out, watching a debate. And he's like, okay, I got to go back and collect myself. So he decides that he was going to go, quote, swing freely with my golf club. What the fuck does that mean? What? Swing freely with my golf club. Okay. So no balls? You know what? I don't know. Well, at this point, it's about 9 o'clock at night. He goes upstairs to watch some more fucking family guy. And right after that, his sister comes up and is like, hey, do you want to watch a movie with me? And he's like, absolutely not, because you're a racist piece of shit, basically. So again, he's still really angry at her about the alleged racist comments. So he tells her, no, you said all this racist stuff. He says, I scolded her for what she said and told her that she was becoming white trash and that he did not want to hang out with a racist, basically. Also, let me just say that his family really liked hanging out with him. They did. They they fucking did. And yeah. that's what's like so sad. Yeah, it wasn't like he was just this outcast and you know, you know what I mean? Not that whatever, like I don't know, but god, just twice this time it's like my grandma called to hang out, do this. My sister wanted to watch a movie. Yes. Well, and like the sister and the mom were watching the debate. Like they seemed to hang out as a family. Yeah. And I don't know, like, if the oldest sister lived with the grandparents or she was just staying with them. Maybe she was in from college. I'm not sure about that. But after he refused to watch a movie with his sister, she went and started hanging out with her mom again. And during that time, Jake went down to his parents' closet because his dad had a blue foldable knife. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't know of any, like, big knives that are foldable. Like... There are, of course, some larger pocket knives, but, I mean, this is not this massive knife that he's decided that this is what he's going to do it with. I am not a knife expert. Colby! (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't know. I know nothing. So he goes and he gets a knife and decides to go back upstairs, and that's when he just starts pacing. He's like, am I really going to do this? Like, am I really going to kill my family? And he starts imagining what it will be like to kill Mallory. He says that he didn't want to cause her pain and that he would start feeling kind of guilty. But then he was like, whoa, whoa, wait, she's a bitch. No, no, no. Like, you know, start thinking about all the times where she was mean or racist or all this stuff. And he's like, no, 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 no. I can do this. She's been mean. She's pissed me off. Like, I'm, I'm going to do this. So at about 9.30, he goes and knocks on her door and says, hey, do you want to watch The Water Boy with me? And she's like, sure. So they go, they hang out on the couch, and, you know, he's like looking at her like, I don't know if I can do this. So he's like, I I need to go to the art room and get a pen. Oh my gosh. So he goes to the art room, and he's in there for about 30 minutes. Just, again, pacing. Like, am I going to really do this? Like, he's got his little blue knife, and he's like, 
am I, am I going to do this? No, I need to do this. Am I going to do this? No, I'm going to do this. You know, he's just going back and forth fighting with himself. Also, if I was watching a movie with my sister and they're gone for 30 minutes, I would go in there and be like, what the fuck are you doing? Right? I would be like, why the fuck did you need a pen? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. But again, this is all coming from him. So after he paces for about 30 minutes, just in a battle with himself, he decides to go back to the couch and watch some more of the movie with Mallory. He starts a pillow fight with her, and they're just laughing and joking and playing around. And that's when he decided that, okay, if I'm going to do this, I don't want them to feel it. So he's like, I can't use this knife. So he goes from, I'm going to kill my family, back to the couch, play fights with his sister, has this great time where, I mean, can't you just see him like laughing and joking and playing? Yeah. And, you know, she has no fucking idea. She thinks that her brother's finally calmed the fuck down about this alleged racist thing and right. is like, hey, let's watch Waterboy. Right. Well, Jake had a 22 caliber revolver that he had stolen from his grandpa. Also, I love how he was so enamored with Michael Myers and how like callous yeah callous ruthless he was and just all this but he's saying that he's had all this turmoil yeah yeah like I don't know I just feel like if that's what got you like you know what I'm gonna do it I I don't know no yes and we'll talk a little bit more about that later too so he told Mallory hey I'm gonna go downstairs for a little while he goes downstairs and he sees that his mom is in the study So he goes to his closet, and that's where he got the pistol. From there, he starts pacing again. He says that he's opening and closing it, opening and closing the cylinder of the revolver, just going, okay, like, am I going to do this? He says he spent over an hour debating with himself. He says he thinks about how his life is never going to be the same, the house is never going to be the same, like nothing will ever be the same again. Duh. Yeah, you're thinking about killing your family. Maybe if you're thinking about this, don't do it. Right. So at about 11.15, he goes upstairs with a pistol, and he knocks on Mallory's door. He tells Mallory that their mom needed her, and so she walks out into the hallway. When she gets there, out of the corner of her eye, she sees that Jake has a gun pointed at her. And she's like, what are you doing? Like, like she thinks it's a joke. Right, because he's been weird anyway today. Right, and so she's like, what are you doing? Like, you are freaking me out. Like, put that thing down. Like, what are you doing? And she starts walking downstairs to go see their mom. That's when Jake pulls the trigger and shoots her in the back and in the head. Oh, my gosh. Mallory falls down the stairs. After he shoots Mallory, he runs down the stairs to go to the study where his mom was, where he shoots her three times at this point Jake says that he's in shock like he's like I cannot believe I fucking did this he's like I am really messed up I cannot believe I like I just killed my mom and my sister so he empties the rest of the bullets which I guess would only be one onto his bed and you know unloads the gun he's freaking out he's pacing he's like oh my god I cannot believe I just fucking killed my mom and my sister oh my god oh my god well all of a sudden he hears a noise and he's like what the fuck is that noise and he looks out into the hall and he realizes that the noise is Mallory she is still alive oh my gosh So he loads the gun, runs back to Mallory, is screaming, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he runs as fast as he can and shoots Mallory one last time to make sure that she dies. He then goes 
back into the study where his mom was dead, but shot her one more time in the head to make sure that she was dead too. Wow. From there, he goes outside to catch his breath, get some air, figure out what the fuck his next move is. He put the gun in the kitchen and is just a bundle of a mess. After he puts the gun on the counter, he goes into the living room where he calls 911. When he calls 911, the dispatcher is, of course, like, where's your emergency? And in such a kid response, he goes, uh, my house. And the dispatcher's like, what's your emergency? And he says, uh, I just killed my mom and my sister. And the dispatcher literally goes, what? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. I could not be a 911 dispatcher. No. And then she kind of collects herself and is like, how did you do that? You know, but she was in utter shock. Like, I was yeah. I was kind of surprised with how surprised she was in that she didn't do anything wrong. And, I'm, I mean, I could never do that Mm-mm. job. So, I am not throwing shade at her at all. She did an amazing job with this call. But I was even a little surprised with how surprised she was. Of course, I mean, why would you ever think that? He he sounds like a kid, Mm -hmm. you know, a a young person. He doesn't sound like an adult. I mean, he's 17. Yeah. So she's like, how did you do that? And he's like, uh, I shot them with a 22 revolver. And I'm not going to read you everything that they talk about, but she asks him, Jake, are you on any medication? And she's meaning, like, are you on drugs? Like, are you taking anything? And he says, uh, no, I've been going to the allergist. I'm on allergy medication. But, like, other than, like, Zyrtec, Advil, and pseudoephedrine, I don't take anything else. Like, dude. Like, he's, that just shows his age. Mm -hmm. That's not, you go to the allergist. Right. You know? You know. It also shows his privilege because an allergist is expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Been there, done that, couldn't afford it. So, the dispatcher asks, like, why are you so angry at your mom and your sister? Like, kind of what led to this? And he says that he doesn't know. And he's like, it's weird. I wasn't really angry with them. It just kind of happened. And then he says he's been planning on killing for a while now. So, I really think he wanted to kill. Now, this is just my opinion. I feel like he wanted to kill. He wanted to kill someone And his family was the easiest target. And he saw that movie and was like, I want to emulate that. He already wanted to kill. And he was like, I want to be able to do what he did with no emotion, stoic, all the things. And so then it became what he did. And then he had to come up with a reason as to why he would kill his sister. So he went, you know what? Racist comments. Right. So the dispatcher's like, just them or like anybody? He's like, pretty much anybody. So that's really why I feel like he's like, I just wanted to fucking kill. He talks about he doesn't like people's attitudes and how people are verbally rude to each other. And he talks about how his family is selfish and that they were suffocating him. And he was like, I don't know. I'm pretty, I guess, evil. Whatever. I'm sorry. And it's like, okay. I'm sorry that your family wanted to take you to fucking dinner and hang the fuck out with you and do all (laughs) the things. And I'm sorry that people say rude things, but you, so you're just going to fucking kill. Are you the Joker? Like you're just going to kill everybody because they're rude. Are you kidding? Right. I didn't remember this case at all. Like I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. 
until he started freaking out after the fact. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, I think I do know this. And I remember listening to the 911 call because I'm a weirdo and I like that. I hate listening to 911 <laughs> calls. And I did listen to most of this one. But I remember it kind of being like a fucking therapy session for him. He was just talking. 24 fucking minutes since yeah. the 911 call was. That's how long also it took police to get there. So I do not understand why it took so long. I don't know if it's because it's like this gated community. It's in Texas. It might, you know, shit's far apart. I don't, yeah. I don't know. He goes on to say... Like, this is going to really mess me up in the future. Oh, okay. Okay. Jake? It's like, it's like the Brendan Dassey of it all. He doesn't understand the repercussions. Like, it's like he doesn't understand that, yeah, this is going to mess you up in the future. You just killed your mom and your sister in cold blood. And what future? You're going to jail. Yeah, how Brendan was like, uh... Can I go back to, I got a test in six period yeah, or whatever. That, oh, that broke my heart. But it's like he doesn't understand, not the consequence. Like, I don't want it to make it sound like, oh, he shouldn't go to jail because he doesn't understand the consequences because he is 17 and his brain isn't fully developed. But it's like, yeah, this is really going to mess me up in the future. You know, it's it's like he just doesn't understand the gravity. And, and I'll show you another place where I think that made me think that too. Yeah. I think he didn't have to think about the repercussions because he thought he would get away with it because he wouldn't care. He would leave. He would flee. He would do whatever. And then he he didn't. He couldn't. Yeah. Well, it's all fun and games until you actually have to do something. Like, mm-hmm. like okay, let's say people think that, oh, I can do, I could do the military. I could do this. I could be a police officer. I could be a firefighter. I could be all these things. And because they play them on games and it's like, oh, that's so easy. And it's like, no, but when it really comes down to it where you're face-to-face with a bad guy, you're face-to-face with an enemy, you're face-to-face with this blazing fire that could kill you, you, you freeze. Mm-hmm. Or, or you don't respond in the way you thought because you have no training and you're not, you know. So yeah. it's like you think that you're this badass until you're not that killing your family with no voice makes you a badass. But you get what I'm saying. Like right. you think that you could fight the enemy and do all this until you're faced with it. And you're like, yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't respond to that the way I thought I would. Yeah. Or same thing with people who are victims of domestic violence. Some people look at them and go, oh, I would never take that. Oh, I would leave. I would do all that. No, the fuck you don't know what you would do until you're put in that situation. Right. And you've had that level of, abuse over and over and over again and it's beat you down and you have no fucking idea what you would do until you're in that situation right we all think we're fucking jennifer lopez from enough (laughs) (laughs) no i know i'm not slim (laughs) shady but not slim (laughs) damn that was good thanks okay i knew his dad was in washington it was a 911 call that i got that from I was like, oh, I think I just pulled that out of thin air. No, 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 then I won't call. Because they ask him where his dad is, and he says he's out of town in D.C. And that's when he goes, and uh, I guess for future reference, I don't really want to see any of my family members, like, visiting or whatever. I just don't want any type of visitors. The fuck? You think you go to Club Med? Right. Um, You go into jail. You go to prison oh in Texas, God. son. Oh, my god. The fuck? I don't want, by the by. By, by the by, I don't really want any visitors right now. I'm not taking visitors at this moment. <laughs> right. Also, uh, you killed two of your family members. I don't think they think you want them to visit you. You know, like, I wouldn't be like, you know what? 
I need to visit him. No. So the dispatcher just wants to kind of check in and make sure like, hey, are you okay? But like, for real, are you about to, you know? And he says, just to let you know, I hate the feeling of killing someone. I'm going to be messed up. What? Oh, gosh. So, I mean, I just, you know, and then he talks about how this was all an experiment and it's out of my system. Don't need it anymore. Right. Yeah. I'm done killing. Uh, not as good at it as I thought I was going to be. <laughs> it turns out I actually care about my sister and my mom. And this is going to be hard. Mm-hmm. What? And and also, you had that one moment that, not saying that he could have saved his sister, but she wasn't dead. Right. You chose to go back. Uh-huh. And you also chose to plan this, which you said you had been. But you chose to plan this because you thought you had the foresight to steal your grandfather's gun, which he had had for like two weeks. Yeah. Also, I just love how he said he was like, I can't believe I just killed my mom and my sister. I can't believe. Wait, what's that sound? Oh, no. She must be in pain. Let me go finish the job. Right. (laughs) Maybe you'd be like, oh, this is where I save her and maybe only do time for one murder. Right. He starts talking about how he's worried about having nightmares. And he's like, are there any types of medications like to help with the nightmares? So that's why I think like he just... He's starting to process a little bit of what it's going to be like for him having to deal with the emotional implications of fucking murdering your mom and your sister. But you can tell that it's like kid, not kid logic, but kid logic. Like, man, I'm going to have bad, bad dreams. Can, can I get some medication for that? You know, it's just, he just doesn't, I I don't know. The 911 call was like, what? Yeah. Also, Jake, you say they smother you, but you seem needy as fuck. The 911 operator did an amazing job with him, kind of redirecting him, calming him down, get, trying to get the information from him, but also like tatad him enough so that he stays on the phone, he stays safe, and she's able to get everything that she needs for the police officers. Like, where's the gun? Where are the bodies? Where are you? This is what I need you to do, you know? So after the police arrest Jake, there was a little bit of a limbo time of, okay, now what the fuck do we do with him? Because when he committed the murders, he was 17 years old. And the Supreme Court had just ruled, okay, you cannot sentence them to life in prison and you cannot sentence them to death, even though this is a capital murder case. So there was this limbo of, there were literally no laws on the books right then of what to do with him. So his family was like, yeah, we're going to take care of him when he's in prison and all, but we're not bonding him out. Because they did like a $750,000 bond on him. And they were like, yeah, we're not doing that. So he can stay in there. So at first, there were two psychologists that were like, actually, um, he's not competent to stand trial. And I never saw anything that said why he was deemed incompetent to stand trial. But he was actually placed in a psychiatric hospital for I think it was like two years. Then he was deemed competent to stand trial. And that's when basically the family and the attorneys were like, we're going to take the capital murder charge off the table so we don't have to deal with this. What's the Supreme Court going to do? Yada, yada, yada. And the family said, look, let's just do a plea deal. He was pleading guilty anyway. Like, let's just do this. So the family statement was, we feel that this is a fair plea bargain under the circumstances, even though our family would support a lesser sentence than 45 years, if it was possible to do so in this case. So he got 45 years and the family's like, yeah, we're cool with that, but we would even be okay with less. 
And you can see the plea deal, like, typed out. And they had all these family members sign it in agreement to it, saying, we're okay that you don't seek more jail time for him. And it was the dad, his two other sisters that were all survivors, the grandparents, an aunt, you know, all these people that were directly related to these victims that were like, you know what, we're cool with this plea. Like, we just want to heal and move on. So he was sentenced, like I said, to 45 years. He has to serve at least 22 and a half of those years, including the time already served before he's eligible for parole. So if he serves the whole 45 years, his release date will be 2057, but he's eligible for parole in 2037. And he is currently incarcerated at the Darrington facility in Texas. And his family gives him commissary money? I think so, because one thing I saw, I can't remember if I said this part or not, was his family was like, we're going to support him. And I really think that they do, but I really found nothing. I was Googling his family. I was Googling his sisters. I was trying to find, like, is there anything where they have spoken out, where they've been, like, given an interview or anything like that? And I could not find it. The only thing I could find was that basically press release saying, hey, we're cool with this plea. And that was through attorneys. So, yeah, you know, there are pictures of him and his dad since he's been in jail. You know how they'll do, like, pictures of inmates with their visitors? You see it a lot with, like, Gypsy Rose and all that. Like, they'll release, like, yeah. prison, prison yeah. pictures of them with so-and-so. There are some of that. So, like, his family visits him. And they did visit him regularly when he was on the psychiatric hold. But I can find nothing about how everybody's doing. I even found a Reddit thread that was like, anybody anybody know how this family's doing? Because we don't fucking know. Yeah. And it was like, there were like nine comments. And then, but the comments said nothing. It was just like the usernames. Yeah. I, it, I don't know. They just, it's under lock and key. Right. I was going to say, they got money so they can scrub the internet. Something. But there wasn't a lot about people, like, from the community speaking out. Like, everything was, you know, they were this great family. They went to this church. Um, Jake was quiet and shy, but seemed to be a great guy. There was really no information. I do want to know why they went from going to school to being homeschooled. Yeah. Because... And, and why they didn't transition together. Like, Mallory went homeschool for two years, and then I don't know if maybe Jake, because he was older, he was in, in high school. He was like, no, let me just finish out. Or, and then maybe stuff got tough, and he was like, actually, I want to transition to homeschool, too. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not saying homeschool is easier. I'm just saying, like, social stuff could have yeah. been tough. So, because he seemed to be a bit of a loner. Again, shy, kind of quiet guy. I don't know that he had a lot of friends. So I think that there's pieces of this puzzle we're missing. Mm -hmm. And the mom was this teacher and principal and then stopped. Did she stop so she could homeschool them? You know, like there's, there's dynamics and pieces of this puzzle we don't have. Right. And we'll never have. Mm -mm. Wow. You know, he's got a box fan. That mm -hmm. shit's expensive on commissary. He better be glad he's their family because I'd be like rot in there. Don't you kill my mama and think I'm going to give you money. Fuck that. Fuck that. I'm trying to think of how much, because cause sometimes I see inmates, like, as patients, you know, 
and one of them was telling me how much everything was on their commissary. And I was trying to remember how much it was, but it was, I remember being like, God dang, that's expensive. Yeah. They said something on 60 days in, I can't remember either, but I was like, I think I want to say like $30 or something just for like this little basic box fan that would be like 10 at Walmart. Yeah. But I mean, he in Texas, you know, he needs one. Oh, fuck. Yeah. This is just such a hard case to figure out. Like, I don't think he had the brain capacity to be able to put the pieces together for the long haul. Do I think he needs to be punished for his shit? Uh Uh-huh. And do I think that he, it was premeditated? Uh Uh-huh. But I don't, like, I think that just with his age and his brain development, like, he just didn't put the consequences with it. I don't know. I mean, there are naive people, but I feel like that's more like he had that affluenza. I was thinking that the whole time I was working on this story. Yes. If y'all haven't listened to that, that's a case that I did a long time ago. It was like when I first moved in this house, like three years ago. Um, That was a good case, too. It was from Texas, wasn't it? Uh, Maybe. But we'll go back to that. But, um... Like, go back to that case and listen, because that was a good case. Where I think it about, was something about affluenza is in the title. Yeah. And I was thinking about this whole that this whole time, but it's like, if he's lived in this bubble mm-hmm. where, okay, let's just say, I'm making this up. I, this is all alleged, like, not even alleged, because I'm just making this scenario up. Let's say he was having a hard time at school, so they pulled him out to homeschool him. So he's been protected in this bubble. He's never had real consequences because his life is in this gated community bubble so he just doesn't have the foresight I guess would be the word like he doesn't understand like you can't get out of this like you you did this this is permanent you aren't going to get out of this you are going to go to jail you're going to go to prison like you know because he's like yeah you know for the record I don't want to I don't want any visitors I'm not taking calls at this time you know yeah it's just those kinds of statements that make me go do you are you processing this do you you know, mm-hmm. and maybe that maybe that was his way of processing. And he's focusing on the minutia because he can't deal with the fact of, holy fuck, I just killed my mother and my sister. Right. I don't know. I, I do think, yeah, like the affluenza, the privilege, because anyone can fucking Google if I kill someone, what's the consequence? Right. And again, I 100% believe he needs to rot in jail. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, so I'm just like, mm, no. Because if he serves, okay, 23 years, and he was 17 at the time, he's like 40 getting yeah. out. Yeah. I mean, he's like just a couple years older than us. Right, right. And has a shit ton more money than we do. If his family, I mean. Which they said that they will support him, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh-uh. I feel like if I did something like that, because like, let's say he has to serve his whole sentence and he's 65 getting out. If I had to do that, I feel like I would be like, just let me stay in here for life. Like if I was in that long, I was that old. Like, what's he going to do? He's going to go get a job at Walmart. Like, no, he's going to go to a halfway house. He's going to live off government assistance. Like, what is his life going to be after that? Who are you, Brooks? You're institutionalized. Oh, I was like, what you mean? Yes. I mean... (laughs) Like, Damn. seriously, what is he going to, what's he going to do? Like, how's he, you know? Well, he has money. Okay, take that off the, take that out of the equation. Because most people serving that much, that much in prison don't. Okay. Because they couldn't afford the attorneys. No, to get I, them fucking, I would still want halfway house. Even though it's not that much better than prison, it's better than prison. Maybe. I mean, could, could not be, but they might have real mattresses. True, but you you would t- get to the point where you didn't know any better. That means my back would be like, oh, thank God. And I would think it was heaven. That, the mattresses, and the lack of AC. And the of, bathroom. Uh-uh, no, don't want Yeah, that. no bidet. No, I just mean no 
privacy. Privacy. No time to TikTok on the toilet. No. I feel like sometimes when I, okay, when I think of going to prison, it's always a men's prison. <laughs> in my brain, I am always in a men's prison. Because you watch Lock, well, before Colby, you watched Lock Up too much. I don't think it comes on like it used to, does it? I don't know. That I was never also, watched it. Also, that was before ID, too, when I really religiously lo- watched Lock Up. Women's prisons, that's a whole different planet. It's bad. And they're loud. I swear to God, I was thinking, it's, and it's so loud. It's so loud. And people on their periods, you know, that's oh, nasty, oh and they God. can't be getting, that's part of the pr- women prison problem is that they can't be, they can't get their shit they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nope. Don't want that. No. So you I, know it's gross up in there. I never want to go to prison, ever. Oh, hell no. I wouldn't survive a day. Like, they would be taking bets and thinking I was the one going to be crying on Shawshank. On oh, Shawshank, yeah. Well, on 60 Days In, there was this guy, and they thought he was going to do great. Because I think he was, like, a corrections officer. And he didn't make it past, uh, like, check-in. I don't can't think of the word. Um, and <laughs> check-in. And no one's ever quit then. And so they were like, uh, 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 how do we do this, um, uh, intake? That's the word. But like, cause I mean, what do you do? Like, all right, go home. You know, yeah. he's already like got his fingerprint, you know, like, so they had to come up with a whole thing, <laughs> but <laughs> that would be me. Oh yeah. I could do it. I could do it. Oh shit. This is loud. Oh no, this is nasty. Oh Man, I got a shit and everybody's going to watch me. But look, that right there is the perfect example of you think you can do something because mm-hmm. you're watching these people uh, on 60 Days In, on Naked and Afraid and all this stuff, and you're like, I could do that. I could be a survivalist. I could do all these things. No, the fuck you can't. You're yeah. sitting on your couch eating your ice cream, living your best fucking life in your air conditioner, in your heater, in whatever. Yes. You aren't sitting on cold metal and have all these people screaming around you, right. banging on what You know, you think you can do things, but you can't, Nemo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, y'all tell us what you think of of all the things. The affluenza of it all. Tell us what y'all think. And also, tell me if you think Brian is hot. Not what happened to him. Is he hot? (laughs) Am I wrong in thinking he is incredibly handsome? Both of these had some mystery aspects of it where it was just like, what? Like, what was... Because there's no motive. Like, there was nothing that was like... That's why he did this, right. you know? So it's like, it's just this huge mystery of why did he do it? And, you know, and yeah. then also, hello, literally the mystery of Brian. I don't know. It's just, they both were just these weird cases. Right. So y'all know, we want to know what y'all think. Thank y'all so very much for listening and supporting us. Happy freaking holidays. We are so stoked we made it through another holiday season. Yes. And I cannot believe how long we've been doing this podcast now. And we really appreciate y'all listening and growing this listenership by spreading the word. And I don't know, it just makes us so happy and thankful. And we're not going to say shit about what the next year is going to be like. <laughs> no, we learned that lesson. But we do want y'all to remember. Creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.